Good evening. Good to see you all out tonight. If you knew I was teaching tonight and you're still here, I thank you very much. And if you didn't know I was teaching and you showed up tonight, I'll apologize to begin with. I've told this audience many times before I'm not a teacher, I'm a coach. I don't really know how good one of those I was, but that was my mentality. That's what I did. That's what I was comfortable doing. Being before a crowd is quite the problem for me. Some of you know, some of you don't know, but I have a deep fear of crowds. I can work a football game and sit in front of 4,000 people and turn my mic on and go to town. You know, that's, that's what... Yes, ma'am. I can walk in a baseball park, walk onto the field, and I'm fine. I can go in a restaurant, and I can look around, and I get to Willie's, and I have to turn around and leave because I can't sit there. I just I can't do it. But I've been here long enough. I know everybody. I'm fairly comfortable. You know, I I believe, it, you know, I'm about as nervous as a fainting goat right now. If somebody stomped their foot, I believe I'd hit the ground and all fours would go straight in there. But the lesson tonight is lesson number three, page 12 in our book. It's the witness of John the Baptist written by Michael D. Rogers. And it's entitled that you may believe to start the lesson we will some of the lessons are thin of material some of them aren't so I decided that maybe we'll do a little we'll do just a little bit of history before we start now I've got all my little toys out in front of me the way my hands are I can't turn pages real well so I've got my tablet stuff in Malachi we'll go back Malachi 4 verse 5 it says behold I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before come before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord he will restore the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse Elijah when he was done he was taken up into heaven he was one of the two Enoch being the other one that were they didn't suffer death. They just went straight, straight to heaven. There's some comparisons between Elijah and John the Baptist, but that was the Elijah was the last prophet before the 400 years of silence. And one of the reasons I chose this lesson is because I had not done, done a lot of study about John the Baptist. Um, actually, there's not a lot of material. But the 400 years of silence probably anything but silent, a lot of violence, a lot of wars. Pharisees and the Sadducees were developed in those years. Um, Greek became the language that everything was translated to. The thing I got out, out of what I read is that the Jewish people basically became lazy during those 400 years. God didn't produce a prophet. They'd gotten lazy. They were treating their family bad. They weren't doing the things that they needed to do during that time. They became set in their ways. And their way really, it wasn't a good way to be. Then um, 
and we go to John, and our lesson comes out of John chapter 5, verses 33 through 35. And it says, you have, sent, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth, but the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were the willing, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. The stage of the lesson is Jesus' prosecution. I watched the lesson, uh, Brother Rogers online do his lesson, and he did a wonderful job, and I'd encourage anybody to go back and watch it. He's very eloquent and very, very informative. But at the time of the persecution, John had already met his demise. King Herod had had him imprisoned because he had talked very strongly against his marriage to his brother's wife. John's style of preaching and spreading the word was very direct, very loud, very... Um, he didn't cut any corners. He let people know exactly what they needed to know because they called him, one, one article called him an end of time prophet. He was telling you that the time was coming for you to repent and be baptized to be saved. That time was coming. He was born to um, Zachariah and Elizabeth at a very advanced age. And that, that, um, that birth kind of coincided with Jesus' birth, that they were both meticulously covered. It said that, <coughs> said by calling himself God his own father, the Jews argued that Jesus was claiming to be equal with God, and this infuriated them, and they seek more to kill him. Jesus defended himself by saying his relationship to the Father, declaring whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. He further contended that they will eventually see undeniable evidence that he is the Son of God. Now being persecuted, he under, uh, Jesus understood the law. You had to have two or more witnesses either to be put to death or be innocent. Now, um, he said he couldn't testify by himself because the testimony of one person was basically useless. And there were three different categories that they looked for in a witness. Now, as a young child, we would go to Gallatin a lot to play baseball on Saturday. I'd watch my uncle play. My granddaddy and my daddy would coach. And I always looked forward to getting home about 1030 on Saturday night on Channel 5, Perry Mason would come on. Loved that show. Loved it. And you <laughs> Being a small boy, you memorize everything that goes on. And anytime I read about a trial, I always think of him. The three characteristics that you had to have to be a credible witness, you had to have the respect. You had to have some type of respect. You couldn't just be a, be a slap off the street. You had to have um, a good reputation. You had to talk about the truth. Always had to have the truth in you. Then you had to have some amount of humility. You had to be there for no other gain other than telling the truth. The question that always comes to mind, John was, John was a forerunner 
for Jesus. He cleared, he came out to clear the way. They talked about in ancient times, um, royalty would have heralds come out before if they were traveling from city to city. The heralds would take the road, they would go into the next town, they would clear debris off the road, they would freshen up everything to where it looked nice. John wasn't necessarily that kind of forerunner. John was going into a society that over the last 400 years had become lazy. They had become scripturally lazy. And he, um, he was trying to get them to turn their minds back to Christ and turn their minds back to the Lord. But it ended up being a little tougher job than what anybody anticipated. Anyway, Jesus being prosecuted, and John, he called on John to be as a witness. Now, when the persecution started, like I said, Herod had already had John executed. Herod was feared of him, very feared of him, because John the Baptist had such a reputation that Herod was actually afraid that he had the power to start a rebellion against him. He wanted to keep him alive. He wanted to, you know, let him do what he did, but he still feared him. But his wife had other plans. So he had been gone for a while, but Jesus knew that his testimony still stood. John's words still stood. They were still recorded. They were still fresh on everybody's mind. So John was a witness, was a perfect witness for Jesus because he was highly respected among all men. John the Baptist had disciples, which none of them are named. The numbers weren't named. Uh, John spent his early years in the desert. There's not really a lot of information about his upbringing. But with his knowledge of the Bible and he being a priest's son, you know he had to be well-educated in the Old Testament he had to see a lot of, hear his father deliver a lot of lessons. And they said he lived a very ascetic life. Of course, not knowing what that word meant, I had to look it up. And ascetic means basically a hard, simple life. But in the desert, there's not a lot of other way to live, I wouldn't imagine. You're either, you're either hurting, you're trying to find something to eat, you're trying to improve your shelter or whatever, but it's still a very simple, hard life which probably gave him very much cause to study. But for him to be that respected, what he said, what he preached, he would draw crowds from Jerusalem and Judea both. And they would come in masses. And he was baptizing in the Jordan River pretty much just every day as hard as he could go. But the, I haven't really thought that much about it, but the people came to John, mm -hmm. really. Uh, he was voice among the crowd in the wilderness. He, he lived a lifestyle that was really above reproach. I mean, nobody could really say he didn't have it easy. He didn't do anything to make his lifestyle something somebody else would want or admire. And uh, and the people came out to hear him, which gave which goes back to why Herod was so uh, afraid of yes. him because the following these were not you know fly the night followers of John. Because they had to travel to go out to find him, and they, uh, and, and you know, they would be out on their own, away from their homes and everything, because he was in the wilderness, he was in the desert, or lack of a better term, the desolate places, I guess, is what you call it. This is Matthew three. Now, in these days, John the Baptist came preaching it, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." 
For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Isaiah, meant, Isaiah wrote that in um, chapter 40, verse 3. And at this time, that was nearly, that was approximately 700 years before. So his coming was announced that far in advance. And then Malachi was written 420, 430 B.C. Of course, they say B.C.E. now for before Common Era, but when we grew up, it was either A.D. or B.C., you know, before Christ or after death. So, you know, that was another 400 years. You know, the Jewish people knew what was coming. They were all told what was coming. But you are, that's one of the points that was mentioned. You know, Jesus went, not comparing the two at all, but the style of Jesus was to go from town to town to town and his following would go with his disciples would go with him and he'd have to move move along. He, John was either in Jerusalem or Judea and he was out in the out in the bush basically and thousands would come to him. And watching the lesson... Brother Rogers mentioned that, you know, the difference between the two, you know, Jesus is, his miracles are recorded. We've studied them. Brother Anderson's done great lessons over them. And, you know, Jesus didn't gain a lot of respect over those miracles. John the Baptist did not do, did not perform any miracles, but yet people came to him by the droves. So apparently there were people during that 400 years that were starving for the gospel and they would follow him just to hear it. Jesus said of John, he asked a set of questions about John. He said, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. These who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, one who is more more of a prophet. So John was highly esteemed as a prophet. Even, even Herod considered him a righteous and holy man. The man that was responsible for his death thought that much of him. Herod was afraid to afraid to put him to death for fear of a riot. There were so many followers. And he said, even after John's death, many leaders of the Jew of the Jews refused to deny he was a prophet for fear of rebellion. John was a perfect witness for Jesus because he was highly respected among all people. Second point Brother Rogers makes is John was a perfect witness for Jesus because he maintained the truth. Every, every like I said, it's not documented. I'm, I'm probably assuming, which is not a good thing to do. But I would assume that every, every, every talk that John gave, every sermon that he gave, he told the same story. He gave the same message. He never wavered from what he saw. When he... When, he was, when Jesus asked him to baptize him, John didn't want to do it. Not worthy of doing it. Didn't think he was worthy at all of doing it. Jesus told him he was. He baptized him and then he saw the miracle happen in front of him. So he knew the truth because he saw it with his own eyes. And he never wavered from that from day one till the very end. Even in front of John's, even in front of Jesus' accuser, John's lesson, John's testimony was the truth. They couldn't waver from that. They couldn't argue with it. It was recorded. 
You know, thousands of people saw it. Thousands of people heard it. God, God had told John that upon what you see of the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And that's in John 1, 3, 133. And at the baptism of Jesus, John saw the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. Therefore, John declared before the Pharisees, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, he saw it with his own eyes. Hard to argue with a man that is an eyewitness. You know, you go back to the, the old Perry Mason trials. The poor defense attorney would bring out, in my day, what I call just somebody just roughing a cob, drug him off the street, gave him five bucks, and got him to testify. And of course, Raymond Burr would dispute everything he had, but John wasn't that witness. No matter what they did, no matter what they asked, no matter what anybody asked, he always maintained the truth. He said, furthermore, Jesus declared to his accusers, the testimony which I receive is not from man. John was sent by God himself to be a witness for Christ. John's testimony, therefore, was credible because he was an eyewitness to the truth, because his testimonies never changed, and because it was of divine origin. Before John's birth, Zechariah was a priest and he was offered the opportunity to light the incense in the temple. Material I read said, um, Brother Roger said that was a once in a lifetime thing, one time. So he's lighting the incense in the temple and the Lord sent the angel Gabriel to him. That You're going to have a son. How in the world can I have a son being my age? My wife's barren. We've not had any kids. We're too old. Argued probably more than he should. And as with as what God did with Paul, when Paul doubted, he was struck blind in the road. Zachariah was, his mouth was shut. He was silent. Then at John's birth, they were arguing about the name. House full of people, house full of relatives, well-wishers, whatever, according to Brother Rogers. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. The mother did nope, going to name him John. Nobody in your family's named John. Why would you want to start a new name? Why not use a family name? Then Zechariah took a pen and a paper at that time, you know, whatever was available to write on, he wrote emphatically, his name will be John. Passed it over, they read it. His voice came back. He was back able to speak again. The Lord had deemed that he had finally learned his lesson. But as an infant, Zechariah took John up and looked at him and said, you'll grow, paraphrasing, you'll grow up to be a priest of the highest order and you'll lead your people to the promised land. Lead them out of what, lead them out of this. <coughs> you know, a lot of people look at their kids. You know, I always looked at my oldest son and thought he'd be a tight end and a fullback. End up being an offensive lineman, but... A little off, but still he's pretty good at it. My youngest, when I looked at him, I said, son, I just hope you get out of school. <laughs> and he did. He graduated from Tech, which he's the one I wouldn't have ever thought. Now he's a graduated with a degree in digital communications. And, of course, now he's a carpenter with his stepfather, <laughs> which I hadn't figured that out yet, but he loves what he's doing. But still, you know, to look at your son and tell him you will be a priest of the highest order. And John was, through all this, you know, you had to bear in mind that God chose 
this family to have this son to do this job. The last two or three times I've taught, it's always been, it just coincidentally, it always been about Paul and how Paul grew up just rough. He grew up persecuting Jews as, you know, as hard as he could go. Then he was stopped. The Lord saw how, how vehemently, how hard he went at his job. And he said, I need you to be on my side for a while. So he stopped him and with that same vigor, he went and did the Lord's work. But now with John the Baptist, he was born for a purpose. And that was to be a forerunner for Jesus and to clear the way for him and to wake people up and tell them what needs to be done. And of course, most of them didn't listen, but still there was groundwork laid for what Jesus was going to have. And not that Jesus would have had to have that, but to where Jesus' style is described as mild-mannered, quiet, uh, well-mannered. They say John was complete, the complete opposite. He was loud, boisterous. You know, he wore camel skin. He had a leather belt. He ate locusts and honey. You know, you could imagine looking up on a rock and seeing him speak. You know, what in the world is this? I've got to stay here and listen just to see what this is. But he's either, you know, his dress wasn't a show. You know, it was part of his part of his upbringing, being brought up, you know, very hard, very simple. You know, that was what was available. The locusts were readily available. The honey was always around. Heard a radio interview of an idiot in North Carolina that was making pizzas out of locusts. He said it took too long to pick the heads and the legs off of them. It took about 75 to make a pizza, so he was going to quit doing it. He couldn't justify the time. I think I'd, I would want him to scrub that kitchen down before I ordered the next pepperoni pizza. But, but still, they say, honestly, I did look. They said locusts contains all the minerals and all the vitamins that you need to live. And in the desert, they're readily available. And I guess back then, you know, that's what you had. There wasn't a sonic around the corner. And anyway... The next part of the lesson is John was a John was a perfect witness for Jesus because he humbled himself before men. Now, being humble, I've had some great uncles I thought were the most humble men in the world. Then I had a couple of uncles that probably didn't know what the word humble meant. But humble, you know, Johnny knows, he knew them all. They talk here about, and I had to look the word up, but it said unpretentious. John was unpretentious. He had no gain in it other than the truth. He wasn't trying to win a contest. Wasn't trying to come out on top. He wasn't trying to smear anybody's name. He wanted, he wanted to be a witness and provide the truth just out of the humbleness of his heart and doing the right thing. And it says, John was sent from God for the distinct purpose of being a witness to testify about the light. He was not the light. He was only the lamp. John said to it in several occasions, you know, he downplayed his role in all this. He said, I must decrease as Jesus increases. He didn't want to take any of the glory. He didn't want any of the thanks. He didn't want any of the attention. You no, know, he had his message to deliver. He had his job to do. And he wanted Jesus to carry on from there. Like I said, he wanted to be a forerunner. You know, we 
Seth and Moose and I all, we, you know, we've been together for so long, we've all seen front runners. You know, they're the ones that as long as you're ahead, you're fine. Once you start falling behind, they slip off somewhere and start grumbling and griping. They're the ones, you know, we've, we've seen so much talent go through up here and seen so many kids quit, transfer, move, whatever, because they did not want to be on the same team with a true talent. John wasn't that way. He was glad to be what he was. He wanted to be that forerunner. He knew that's what God intended for him to do was set the stage for the next man coming. He said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. But Jesus said, yeah, you're more important than you ever think you are. You know, this is, you know, I can't do my job without what you've done. Let me try to find where I'm at. I can't half see. I've got one eye that works and one eye that works half the time. Y'all bear that in mind if you meet me on the road, especially at night. That he was only the lamp that was burning and was shining to show the way for the Christ. John never claimed to be anything more than one who was to introduce the Messiah. He had repeatedly confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not Christ. I am not the Christ. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Like Barry had already mentioned. Make straight the way of the Lord. He wore the most modest of clothes. He ate the diet of the most rejected poor. He openly declared that he was not fit to untie the thongs of Jesus' sandals. He avowed to his own confused his own confused disciples that Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus knew his accusers would not direct discredit John as an arrogant, egotistical glory seeker. He knew they would be forced to listen to his testimony. Like I said, he was so, John was so respected. He told the truth every instance that he had to, every instance he had a crowd to talk to, and then he was humble. And I read the read about humble and him, you know, the unpretentious way he did things. It did it brought back what you know Gerald Ragnall always had called TV preachers. You know, is that who is that who needs to testify? Are they are they humbled? You know, John, John wore what he could find. He ate pretty much what he could find. He lived off the barest of necessities, and he carried crowds with him everywhere he went. He, you know, they like Barry said, they came to him. They they were starved that much for that lesson. And now I'm afraid that a lot of the world has gone quite the other way to where they see the flash and the glitter and the smoke and the fire, and that's where they want to go because they think that's the truth. And, I, you know, it's just not, it's not the way it is. It's not the way it should be. So the message of the messages of this lesson, I guarantee you that's my wife texting me a baseball score. And she knows good and well I'm teaching. She'll be all right. She had to work late. She works in Salina, and it's about a two-hour round trip. She got in as I was leaving. To be a credible witness for Jesus, we must be respected in our communities. Believe me, around here, respect is hard to come by. And you can, <laughs> I can tell you for true, you can be a hero one quarter, and you will be a goat within 15 minutes. Just make a mistake and listen. But still, your respect is something that I've tried to teach my sons 
It takes years and years and years to build a respect, and it takes seconds to lose it. And I've got one I'd like to choke because he still won't listen to me. But he's coming along. His world's going to change in November when I become a granddaddy. He thinks he's, yeah, he thinks he's having fun now. I want to be there with a the camera when he changes that first diaper. John was a perfect witness because he was humble. He humbled himself before men. We have to have a humble attitude when we're talking about to the Lord. We're trying to trying to convince people that what we teach is the truth. We need to do it in a humble manner. We don't need to stand on top of the roof and scream and holler. There are ways to teach it. There are humble ways to talk. There's humble ways of getting our message across. You know, like I said, I always think back to my great uncle. Some of them were the most humble men. Uncle Gar and Uncle Dink were probably two of the most humble men that ever lived on this earth. And their manner of teaching, you could sit and listen to them all day because of the way they taught the humility in which they taught their lessons. And we need to talk about the truth. We need to always have the truth in our hand to pass on to whoever will listen. Our message is not any good if we sprinkle it with what the world has done, what the world is teaching, uh, what we heard on TV. You know, we need to go back to the book, go back to the New Testament and teach plainly the truth. Again, if you don't want to hear this lesson, it's on YouTube. It's under the Southeast, Southeast School of Preaching. Michael D. Rogers is the man's name. He does a very good job of it. He doesn't ramble on about his kids and his wife near as much as I do. Um, and it didn't look like he was nervous at all while he was doing it, but he has he has been. He doesn't he doesn't have a handful of books that he's looking at. I appreciate your attention tonight. Appreciate your participation. Um I think maybe next year I'll try it again. <laughs>